The sports world has been greening itself for most of the century, but despite these efforts, most fans have no idea. That changes now. Welcome to Green Sports Pod. Hosted by Lou Blaustein, Green Sports Pod highlights the successes, challenges, and opportunities to green the games we love to watch and play, and give you the chance to hear from the athletes who are taking positive environmental actions. Learn more and subscribe to the show today at greensportsblog.com. Hi there. Welcome to Green Sports Pod. I'm your host, Lou Blaustein. Protect Our Winters, or POW, has been a green sports beacon for a decade. The Boulder, Colorado-based organization provides climate education to world-class and Olympic medal-winning skiers, snowboarders, trail runners, and more. Those athletes lobby members of Congress as well as legislators in snow sports states on behalf of climate legislation. More recently, POW has pivoted to the world of electoral politics, deploying its athlete ambassadors and other resources on behalf of candidates who support climate action. The 2020 campaign, including the presidential race, is now Protect Our Winter's main focus. With that backdrop, we are excited to welcome POW's Executive Director Mario Molina to the Green Sports Pod microphones for Episode 7. Mario, it's great to have you on the show. And I have to ask you, how did a kid from Guatemala get to become the executive director of something called Protect Our Winters? Good question. Took a left turn at Ecuador. (laughs) Figuratively, but also literally. I lived in Ecuador for about five and a half years and was a mountain guide there and participating in the mountain sports there. And that was my introduction to glacial climbing and alpine climbing. And then from there, when I moved back to the U.S., I got into backcountry snowboarding. And that led to overall snow sports in general, including some ice climbing. So, yeah, that's how that worked out. Lou, great to be on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It is our pleasure. So it almost seems like with that as background, you were destined to end up at Protect Our Winters. But you didn't go right to Protect Our Winters. Take our listeners a little bit through your early career and also your interest in environmentalism and climate. I did my graduate work in geosystems analysis at Appalachian State. And so at the time, I was mostly looking at GIS models of wetland ecosystems. What are GIS? Geographic information systems, basically digital mapping and analysis of wetland ecosystems. And at the time, This was in the early 2000s. I'm dating myself. And climate change was already on the scientists' radar. There were people studying at our university. But we didn't really have like a clear picture of what the timeline was for some of the worst of the impacts, the connections between extreme weather and decreased snowpack and droughts, et cetera, and and the science. So I kind of shelved it in the back of my mind and didn't go into work directly on climate and spend probably the next five or six years immediately after graduate school working for an organization that brought volunteers from the U.S. and Europe to different countries around the world, including Australia, Dominican Republic, and Ecuador, to do environmental work, conservation work, within the combination of adventure sports. And I was in charge of developing both the academic curriculum for it and the learning piece of it, and the conservation work of it, as well as putting together the adventure sports itinerary. 
So I did that for close to 10 years, nine, 10 years, learned a lot there. And that was right around the time that the U.S. was about to pass the Waxman-Markey bill. As you might remember, 2010, it was the cap-and-trade bill. And so During now the it's happening. apocalypse, if I recall. Yeah, right after the second year of the econ-apocalypse. And so at the time, we thought, oh, it's a democratic administration, not this partisan issue. But at the time, Obama had spoken about taking action on climate. There was a Democratic-held Congress, so we thought this is a priority for that group. This will for sure pass. And we all know, or I hope that everyone listening to the podcast knows that that didn't actually go through. Not quite. I was really confused being on the outside. So That I makes a few being, million of us. Yeah. But being on the outside, not quite understanding why it was that it hadn't worked. That got me really interested in the policy side, on the policy and the politics behind this, and realizing that unless we address this from the policy side, and get this back to being a nonpartisan issue or bipartisan issue, as it was back when George W. Bush proposed a carbon tax and it was the Cato Institute that actually did the research behind market-based pricing mechanisms, et cetera, that this is actually a very conservative value and it's to integrate the cost into the economy. So without getting too wonky, that was my shift then to looking at, and I was moving back to the U.S. for several reasons, transitioning from doing on-the-ground conservation work and on-the-ground environmental work to really trying to focus on the policy and political advocacy for the topic. So I spent three, four years at the Alliance for Climate Education as a deputy director there, and then five years at the Climate Reality Project, helping the Vice President Al Gore set up the trainings that he does, and then post-Paris running their international programs for a couple of years before joining POW as the executive director. So that's a quick overview of how I got here. And let me just say right here, for the benefit of our listeners and full disclosure, I was trained by Vice President Gore and the Climate Reality Project back in 2012 in San Francisco. And Climate Reality Project basically takes the content from An Inconvenient Truth and An Inconvenient Sequel now and provides grassroots folks like me and you the ability to go out into the community and share the problem of climate change, the solutions, and then figure out a way for our community to develop the political will to make the changes so we can get to a cleaner, more livable, healthier planet. And so it's been my honor to volunteer with this incredible organization. And I thank you for your work during that time at Climate Reality. What did you learn at both the Alliance for Climate Education and Climate Reality about where the country was and where the world was on this issue? And you were there during that, as you mentioned, the Paris Accords were signed. What I learned is what hopefully we've all learned, and it's that while the environmental movement has done a really good job at building, fortifying, and training the base, and that is people who identify as climate advocates and for whom this is already a core passion and a core priority in their lifestyle and in their voting habits, we haven't done a really good job at expanding that base. And what we've seen over and over again is that the base is not enough. And so 
we're getting our asses kicked. <laughs> and the unfortunate part, but the opportunity as well, is that we're getting our asses kicked. But a lot of times we're getting our asses kicked at the margins. It's by small margins that we lose incredibly important pieces of legislation. So, for example, the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, the rider that allowed, that included the possibility for drilling in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge was built into the tax plan that passed last year. And that legislation passed by three votes in the Senate. That's not a whole lot of votes, including two votes that could have potentially swung on this issue. Over and over, we're seeing elections being won or lost at the margins. And so what I think it's really important and what I learned is that we need to make the tent bigger and we need to make the entryway into climate advocacy a broader entryway than as narrowly as we have in the past defined it for environment, which is, I think, what you and I are trying to both do in reaching out to athletes and the sports community. So how do we go about doing this? This makes me think about the fantastic Yale program on climate change communications and its Global Warming's Six Americas analysis. As you know, Mario, it divides the U.S. into six groups when it comes to attitudes about climate change. Alarmed, concerned, cautious, disengaged, doubtful, and dismissive. In its November 2019 study, the Yale group found that 31% of Americans are now in the alarmed camp, which, if true, is amazing. But that's still not nearly enough. 59% fall in what I call the concerned to doubtful range, the vast middle. Only 10% are dismissive, and they should be dismissed. But it is that middle that needs to be pushed to the alarmed end and fast. And that's where athletes can help by using their platforms. How do we make that happen? The Six Americas, I think, is great work. So, POW, we conducted a pretty in-depth research project in 2019. So, we did six focus studies across three states. So, we looked at did one in North Carolina. We did one in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and one in Salt Lake City, Utah. Then we did about 2,100 online interviews as well as an online forum that lasted about 24 hours, all with members of the outdoor sports community. And some of the takeaways that we got from that research were not dissimilar to the Six Americas, but a bit more nuanced, at least for the outdoor sports community. And what we found is that it's the people who care across both parties are still 90% the people in the outdoor sports community, regardless of party affiliation, believe that climate change is real and caused by climate. The challenge is not so much in getting them to believe that the challenge is to, in getting them to believe that their action actually matters and that they can actually affect the system in a large enough way. So the likelihood to take action in everyday life to improve the environment and address climate change across the board, the number one activity was 78% thought that recycling was what they were the most likely to do, but only 24% were willing to contact their representatives. And that, I think, gives us a sense of where people are at. They're a bit cynical about the system. They're a bit cynical about what they can do. And so they go small and personal. And what I think we need to do is we need to harness the power of the collective and reinstitute faith in the importance of the vote and civic engagement in actually driving change. And our influencers, I think, are really well positioned to help them make that a part of lifestyle. And so this idea of lifestyle advocacy versus climate advocacy. When you decided to come to POW, 
which was, I think, 2017 when you came on board. What was great about joining POW is that through extensive rounds of conversations with board members and Jeremy Jones, our founder, people can Google him if they don't know him, but he is a renowned big mountain split border. There were two things that we agreed were critical, mission critical for POW. One was to broaden the tent and really get more people into the climate conversation from the outdoor sports community and make this topic a higher priority for the industry, for brands, for ski resorts, as well as for consumers and the general public. But then second was also to highlight the importance of voting. And so obviously I came on board in 2017. We were about to go into the midterms. We all know this administration's terrible record on the environment. I mean, this In the first two years of the administration alone, they rolled back over 200 plus environmental regulations. And so even in the midst of the pandemic, they've continued to suspend the EPA's regulation of pollutants going into our water and our air. So the importance of leadership and having the right leadership on this subject was equally important as broadening the tent. And so that was a bit of a shift for Powell. So you kind of call it taking the gloves off and really getting into it, but realizing as well that we need to do that while also not alienating people who enjoy the outdoors and believe the climate change is real and want to see something done about it, but may not agree across the spectrum of ideology. So what we also know is that not all outdoor enthusiasts are necessarily skew liberal. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. Yeah, it's about 40% liberal, about 30% conservative, and about 30% identify as independent. But there's a lot of shared values and passion in terms of the importance of protecting the environment. Where did the elite athletes, your athlete ambassadors, come in to your kind of field of view as you were coming in back in 2017? Were you thinking that they would be interested in getting involved in legislative action on behalf of candidates or against candidates, or more just simply on the education side and speaking out? Oh, yeah. Our Athlete Alliance first, and then our Creatives Alliance and our Science Alliance, our alliances are the backbone of POW. We are here to bring these people together and provide a platform to turn what they're passionate about, which is the outdoors, into purposeful action on climate. That is our mission. And that's non-bipartisan action on climate. And so what came into the view is I'm always just incredibly impressed by the quality of intellect and the quality of character of our athletes. So people associate sometimes adventure sports athletes with high adrenaline, high stoke, bro, hey, dude, dude, etc. And the reality is that if you know anything about any of these people, what it takes to perform in these sports at the level that they perform at goes far beyond Stoke. So whether it's Conrad Anker and Yimichen summiting Maru in the worst of conditions with very small margins of error and life and death situation, it's an incredible judgment, perseverance, leadership qualities, and intelligent decision-making. What it takes for Gretchen Weiler or Elena Haidt or David Wise to win Olympic medals is they're executing at the top 1% of 1% of people that are doing this. And it's not all native talent. It's hard work. It's dedication. And it's a very nuanced understanding of their sport and a dogged determination and character. So there are all of these attributes that just make them incredible human beings beyond just their athletic abilities. To me, it's that 
that we can look to as inspiration to it. When people ask, what can I do? Or what will it take, et cetera? It's that dogged determination and passion and goal setting and breaking big goals down into smaller objectives and doing what it takes to do it that's so inspiring. And when they actually take that approach and translate it and then say, and all of this that I have accomplished doesn't really matter unless we address climate change, to hear them make this a part of their brand, a part of their value set, et cetera, I think is incredibly inspiring to people who look up to them as role models. What's amazing to me, because I've interviewed for Green Sports Blog, Gretchen Blyler and Elena Height. Oh, great. And others from the POW world that they are not afraid of any political blowback, or if they are, they don't evince it. And they will meet with their state or federal legislators, and they'll get involved in campaigning for this climate-related bill or that climate-related bill, and they will be out there. And what have you thought as you've seen these athletes kind of go beyond what most athletes would even consider doing? What we've seen is just this incredibly dogged determination to put everything out there for something that they really care about. And so we've got Elena and we've got Gretchen, but then there's like a whole new generation coming up. For your listeners, I'd encourage you to Google Kai Jones. He's flipping 720s at 12 or 13. I think he's 12 or 13 years old now. And he's got thousands and thousands of followers. And if you talk to him about climate, he'll speak about climate more eloquently than most adults that I know. So the next generation, especially in the outdoor sports world, it's not even a question of do I speak out about this? Is this something that I should care about or not? May it hurt my brand or not? It's an inborn part of their value system. And actually, I believe that it'll help their brand. I believe oh, it definitely does. The political wins are at our back on this for, I'd say, Gen Z athletes and whatever we call after Gen Z. This is not going to be something they have to worry about. This is something they should jump on. It absolutely does. And what we see over and over again is sometimes, I've had this conversation most recently, I think, with Amy Engerbertson, and it's they're not sure how to step into the space if they haven't stepped into it before. And they know that there's going to be trolling that happens. When Tommy Caldwell started posting about this, he was getting all kinds of trolls posting on his social media feed. And a couple of things that we discovered, it's one, it's usually a vocal minority. It's not actually the majority. But then we also found out, and that Jeremy and Tommy experienced this at the same time, that when they started digging into who some of these people were, it turned out they were bots. They were Instagram accounts that had no followers or five followers and three posts or four posts. So I think the piece that what that reminds us of and that I don't think we can forget is that there is a well-funded systemic approach to combating any progress on climate across all angles. And that's been well-documented. Naomi Risky's book, for anyone who doesn't know, I highly recommend it, Merchants of Doubt. She's on our board, fantastic speaker. I'd encourage you to Google her, listen to her TED Talks. But it's not a coincidence or it's not an organic emergent message that climate change isn't real or that climate change will hurt our economy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. These are well-funded disinformation campaigns by the fossil fuel industry meant to stop or halt progress on climate. And they take all kinds of forms. And sometimes that's what happens. Beyond petroleum. Yeah. 
Exactly. And so that's what happens. And so when we started seeing that, we were like, okay, if we're pissing some of these people off or if we're even on their radar, that's a good sign. That's definitely a good sign. Sometimes I hear from athletes, not necessarily winter sports athletes, but some athletes are loath to speak out on it because they fear that they're going to get called out for having a lavish lifestyle or a high carbon footprint. And I know that that is sometimes a concern in the snow sports world. Have you seen that and how have you dealt with it at PAL? That's probably one of the most frequently asked questions that we get from athletes and some of the pushback that they get. It's one of those answers that to me seems so obvious in retrospect, but it's not if you haven't ever thought about it before. So the idea that we as individuals or we as consumers are responsible for the situation that we're in is also one of those really well-funded disinformation campaigns from the fossil fuel industry. And this goes back to like the ExxonMobil memos. This is well-documented. It started in the early 1990s, I think it was. Some of the campaigns around carbon footprinting and some of the campaigns about pushing for behavior change, et cetera, were actually funded by the fossil fuel industry. And you can think, oh, like how noble of them. But no, the basic concept here is if you can shift responsibility from the companies that have created the systems that we depend on for energy extraction, distribution, and consumption over to the individual, that gets them off the hook pretty easy. But the reality is there's, you probably know this number better than I do, but if I remember correctly, there's 25, 28 companies that are responsible for about 50% of greenhouse gas emissions. That sounds about right. And then there's 50 companies that are responsible for about 80, 85% of greenhouse gas emissions. And so the problem is not the fortunate and privileged 1% of the outdoor sports community that can afford to fly to Europe on a ski vacation or the athletes who are sponsored, whose job it is to go to green on the climb, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, we should all live examined lives and do the best that we can in the sphere that we can, but they could stop doing all of that and have no impact whatsoever on the problem. Instead, what we tell them is if instead, yes, you do live an examined life so that you can feel good when you go to bed at night, that you've done the best that you can, but then use your platform to actually ask for the systemic change that we need to address these bigger problems. Systemic change being, hey, let's ask for an extension of the PTC and the ITC investment tax credit and the production tax credit for wind and solar as part of the green stimulus package coming out of Congress. And get rid of the fossil fuel subsidies while we're at it. Start facing fossil fuel subsidies out for an industry that we know does not have a sustainable business model. Hey, let's not allow for subsidized drilling in our public lands. Hey, if we can use your platform to drive that message and influence that kind of change, it will far offset the impact that you may be having when you have to fly to the Himalayas on an expedition or have to fly to Europe on a trip. And yeah, if you want to offset it, like Powell's got a carbon offset program. If you want to offset it, it doesn't hurt. Great. Should do it. Might as well. Unfortunately, it's not very expensive because carbon's so cheap, but that's not the problem. Talking about solving the problem. I mean, the 2020 election is going to have a huge impact on the climate fight, how it goes in the United States and thus on the world. So where is POW active in 2020? What are your plans 
for this election. We are making a huge get out the vote effort. And depending on when this releases, we may have just released or be about to release a make a plan to vote tool that we're making broadly available across the outdoor sports community. And it will allow anyone that logs on to check out, basically make sure that their registration is current, what their closing polling place is. If you feel more comfortable voting by mail and your state allows to vote by mail, how to do that, not only how to do that, but also if you fill out the form, it'll send you your ballot. Basically, it'll send you your ballot to fill in and just all you have to do is mail it in. So what we believe is that the most important part of the process that we cannot afford to lose democracy in this election. And that means that everyone needs to show up to vote. And ideally, we're showing up to vote with our public lands, the places that we love, the environment, the playgrounds that we recreate in, clean air and clean water as one of our top priorities. And add to that the fact that we need different leadership if we're going to even begin to address systemic injustice in the country. How will your power athletes figure into the 2020 effort? Originally, pre-COVID, they were prepared to go across the country to do speaking engagements at climbing gyms, ski areas, outdoor shops, outdoor retailers, etc., to share their personal experiences and how they've seen their sports impacted by climate. But with the current situation, we're transitioning a lot of that work to online. And so we'll be doing events at colleges, retail stores, some of these gathering spots or community spots for the outdoor sports community. We'll be doing online events for them to share their experiences and then asking people to make sure that they engage in the electoral process in 2020. And how can someone listening to this podcast get to POW? What's the best way to get to POW to your athletes and to be part of your community? Thank you. So go to our website, protectourwinters.org and follow us on Instagram. Our handle is protectourwinters. And that's where we post our calls to action, all of our resources, who our athletes are, work we're doing, and any of our calls to action and work that we're doing at the time. Ideally, what we'd like to do is invite people to join the outdoor state. So our umbrella campaign is the outdoor state. And there's 50 million of us in the country who recreate either mountain bike, climb, trail run, ski, snowboard, or some combination thereof. If we came together as a voting bloc, that would make us the largest state in the country. And there's all this talk about the importance of swing states, et cetera, et cetera. If we all voted together, we would wipe out any margin in any swing state. And it's important to recognize that we need to be inclusive of perspectives. It's, this is not just if you join the outdoor state, you're joining onto some liberal agenda as a whole. We don't care what party affiliation you have. What we care is that if you are passionate about public lands, if you are passionate about the environment, if you are passionate about the sports that you recreate in, and you're worried about decreased snowpack, you're worried about heat waves, and you're worried about the damage to our environment and how that will impact our ability to escape to the great outdoors, then you're welcome to join the outdoor state because that is what we care about. Those are the things that we really value. And one thing I did notice when you're talking about the research that you conducted last year was one of the states was North Carolina, not necessarily considered top of mind when you think of snow sports, but that tells me that POW has expanded beyond snow sports. Maybe you could talk a little bit about some of those initiatives. Thank you for asking. In 2018, we partnered up with members of the trail running community 
people like Antonio Kapeka and Claire Gallagher and Luke Nelson who are champions in ultra running and well-known members of the trail running community who wanted to address climate change but their particular emphasis was on public lands and rather than they asked me they said would you help us start an organization and we said well yes we would if that's what you really want to do but what we'd love to do is expand and let you be the voice of the trail running community for POW. And so we started Powell Trail, and Stephanie Howe is now one of our key ambassadors. And we've seen that there's been a hugely positive response from the trail running community. And then it was a similar process at the beginning in 2019. We were already working with Conrad Anker and Matt Siegel, and then Tommy Caldwell joined Climbing Lion, Graham Zimmerman, all these lead alpinists and rock climbers, and mountaineers. And so it was very natural next step was power climb and so these are alliances within the overall power alliance that speak very genuinely to the concerns and to the landscapes that these sports and these enthusiasts participate in and so we've expanded to trail and climb and if you've ever spent any time in north carolina especially northwestern north carolina the trail running is absolutely off the hook the mountain biking is fantastic and there's excellent climbing that's near where you went to school, right? Yep. I went to school at Appalachian State. And I remember when they beat Michigan in football. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that distinctly. I tried to actually make a bet with a buddy of mine, and he kind of laughed it off and said, I don't want to take your money. So we didn't make the bet, but I should have totally forced him to do so. Oh, man. One last question. So I and some others have launched an organization called Eco Athletes, which you and I talked about. And we're trying to, in essence, get athletes in sports that are not as obviously immediately affected by climate change as the snow sports, let's say. Skiers and snowboarders, they see it in there every day. A basketball player who plays indoors might not see it. A baseball player who plays in an indoor stadium, or even if he plays outdoors and it's hot, he's still not making that. It's not as present. It's not as immediate. What lessons can eco-athletes and others or just the non-snow sports world take from what you guys are doing at POW? The lesson here is it's impacting us all. And sometimes we just don't realize that the impact that we're experiencing is because of climate change. So we couldn't establish a direct correlation between an extreme weather event and climate change. And now we know that every extreme weather event is impacted by climate change because it's the underlying system that's changing. And so Yes, if you spend your life playing indoors, you may not experience it as directly, but I would dare say that anyone that's consistently tried to play an outdoor court in the last 10 years and any time between July and September has noticed that it's getting freaking hot. <laughs> it's getting freaking hot out there, and these heat waves are more frequent, more intense, and more severe, and they last longer. This is why I play tennis when we can actually play tennis. I play tennis at 6.30 in the morning in the summertime in New York at Central Park because it's cooler. Exactly. And so you don't have to go far to draw the connections between pretty much any area of life or any sport and the impact that climate change is having. I mean, we saw whether it be hurricanes, whether it be heat waves, whether it be decreased snowpack for some of us, whether it be fires in California or flooding in the Midwest, you don't have to look very far. And I guarantee you that even if someone doesn't feel like their sport has been directly affected, they don't have to go too far to see someone in their community or someone in their immediate network who has been. 
we are facing the challenge of our lifetimes, but we're also incredibly, incredibly blessed to be living in one of the greatest times that humanity has ever existed in. And we have access to all these sports. So I think it's really important that we get out and we recharge. Get up early, play tennis, get up early, go for a mountain bike ride, get up early, go find your local hill, whatever it is that fills your soul. Because we're in this one for the long term and we need to also sustain the passions that keep us motivated. And that's how we do it at PAL. We're going to fight this fight all the way to the end, but we're going to have a hell of a good time while we're doing it. As an early riser myself, I thank you, Mario, and your PAL colleagues for waking up early, exercising, and then getting back to your home offices nowadays, refreshed and ready to go. This conversation makes me think that the outdoor state will have a significant positive impact on the 2020 election and on climate legislation starting in 2021. You can visit Protect Our Winters online at protectourwinters.org, and you can follow them on Twitter at, at protectwinters, and on Instagram at protectourwinters. And thank you for listening to Green Sports Pod. See you next time at the increasingly crowded intersection of green and sports. You've been listening to Green Sports Pod, hosted by Lou Blaustein. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And head on over to greensportsblog.com, the source for news and commentary at the intersection of green and sports. Thanks, and we'll see you next time on Green Sports Pod.